The scripture reading this morning will be come, uh, coming from John chapter 2, verses 23 through chapter 3 and verse 3. That's, that can be found on page 940 in the Pew Bibles in front of you. Again, chap- John chapter 2, verses 23 through chapter 3 and 3. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in in man. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless he is from God, unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest and if you're visiting here on Friends Day, uh, we especially welcome you. It encourages us that you're here. Uh, We want to be an encouragement to you, and we'd invite you back at any time. We'd invite you back again at 4 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, We need to make an important update. Uh, Because of the saturated ground, we're going to do the 4 o'clock service here in this very room. Please continue to bring your side dishes. Uh, We will uh, still have our meal here uh, after our 4 o'clock service, and then after that we'll have activities also. Uh, If it's not raining, of course, the concrete and the asphalt will not be saturated. And so uh, we'll even have some chairs set up on the outside and continue many of that outside activities as long as it's not raining at that particular time. If it is raining that particular time, we'll just move everything inside. Uh, We do look forward uh, to the game of gotcha between the elders. I hear there's some a little bit of smack talk going on even between classes and uh, we look forward to that and we might even play that one if it is raining. Uh, we, we, we've got to get that one in. Uh, the cornhole will continue. The children's activities will continue and uh, we look forward we look forward every year to being down at the park. It's a wonderful setting. We'll look forward again. Maybe we'll do that in the fall with Family Day. We'll see what we can do with that. But I want to remind you the best part of Friends Day is the fellowship with each other and with our friends. And that we will still have today at four. And so we look forward to that. And we also have another very important announcement. If you checked out a little bit, check back in. Uh, Because we will be using this facility all evening, uh, the six o'clock service has been moved to four o'clock. And so all afternoon services or evening services will be here in this room at four o'clock. So please uh, join us and we look forward to that time of worship and we look forward to the time of fellowship and eating and uh, enjoying each other's company uh, following that. Several years ago, it's told as a true story. One of Paul Newman's biggest fans was in an ice cream shop in Oklahoma City. And to her surprise, she looked back to the person in line right behind her, and it was Paul Newman. She literally couldn't say a word. She smiled, she tried to say hello, she tried to tell him how much she loved him. But when she looked into those blue eyes... Cat had her tongue, her knees almost buckled. And as the the girl gave her her ice cream and gave her her change, 
She just turned back and again looked him in the eye, tried to say something and couldn't, and just walked out of the shop door there and sat down on the bench right outside the store and just tried to gather herself. And she thought, maybe I could walk back in and say something. And then she looked around and she noticed, I don't have my ice cream. So she thought, I have to go back in to get my ice cream. And as she went back towards the door, he was at the door. And he smiled and he spoke to her and she tried to speak again, couldn't say anything, just smiled. And he said, by the way, are you looking for your ice cream? And she nodded. And he said, I just noticed you happened to put it in your purse with your change. (laughs) Is there anybody that you would just think if if I could be in their presence, if, if I could just sit with them for a little while, I'd love to talk about what? Isn't it interesting, the people that we would value the most, the truth is we'd probably say, i tell you one thing, I wouldn't talk about small talk. I'd want to talk about big things. What would it be? Who would it be that you'd want to sit down and talk with? And it probably wouldn't be about the weather. It probably wouldn't be, hey, how you feeling today? You'd probably have some very specific things you want to talk about. The text that we have just had read for us is a reminder of a wonderful opportunity that Nicodemus had when Nicodemus came to Jesus and he came at nighttime and he wanted to talk. And don't you know that the last thing that was on Nicodemus' mind then was just surface talk. I assure you he didn't come in and they sat down for a five minute visit about what the weather had been like lately. Can you imagine what it had been like to be able to sit down and just ask Jesus things? But you know, as we're thinking about that, can I challenge that a little bit further? You want to one-up that one? Imagine sitting down and instead of asking Jesus things, imagine sitting down and letting Jesus speak. What would Jesus say to you if you sat down to talk. That almost gives me cold chills to think about. This morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like for us to broaden the text a little bit. You noticed in the scripture reading, we read the last paragraph out of the second chapter to get somewhat of a setting for the third chapter. And really, we're not going to try to digest everything about every verse we read. But I'd like for you to back up with me to the second chapter and even back just a little further than than what we began. I'd like for us to go back to the 13th verse. I want to remind you of the setting here as we read the second chapter, 13 and 14. We get a setting of time and place. Now, the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and money changers doing business. What was the time of year here? It was Passover. The Jews had three huge feast days that all of them tried their best to make it back to Jerusalem for these feast days. It would have been Passover and Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles. And notice when it says he went up to Jerusalem, he would have been traveling southward, but the elevation was up. And so when he goes there, I'd like for you to notice in 14, the third word in my translation here is found. He found something. 
In other words, it's the idea that he went in, there was something, there was an activity, there were things, there were people. Just like maybe tomorrow you're going to go into work and I, I want you to imagine that, that someone came in over the weekend and you might say, when I came into work Monday, I found what? I found where someone had been working at my desk. Or I, I found where this product that we left at this particular stage, I found it completed. Someone's coming. Jesus, what are you finding? Jesus had been to this temple many times. By this time, he's probably at least 30 years old. By this time, he, he could say, I've come to this temple over and over. I've been here many Passovers. But it's as if he's saying, I found something this time. What did you find? I found animals. And, and the word that's used here for temple in the Greek, it may have not literally been inside the building. He may have been talking about the courtyard areas. But notice what he says. I found animals there. But I also, I found money exchangers there. And you remember the Passover was a time that every faithful Jewish family was to offer some kind of animal and usually it was a lamb. But if your family did not have enough money or means to do that, you would offer some, some doves. And so here, those are at least two of the animals that are mentioned. And it is believed, strongly believed, many of the scholars and historians of that day will back this up. It's not that every Jew was a defiled man or woman at that time, but the leadership among the Jews at this time was very much corrupt. And so what they had was they had a system in place where, where they would defraud individuals by the offerings. Let me give you a scenario of how it may have looked, okay? We don't read this in the scriptures, but it was probably something like this. Imagine a family brings a lamb and, and they picked out their very best lamb, a, a first year lamb, and, and it, it, it was without spot or blemish and they brought it and, and the priest would look at it and say, can't accept that, that lamb's not good enough. We've traveled all this distance. We brought our lamb. What, what are we going to do? You can go over there and they can sell you another lamb that's better than this one. Well, you take your lamb over there and they say, okay, we'll, we'll exchange. We'll, you give us some extra money. We'll take your lamb and we'll give you a better lamb. And now they've gained money. And then historians said, if you go a few families later, that very lamb that was traded in here would be someone else's acceptable lamb that would come around later. And you see, they had to have exchanges of money because if the effigy of the emperor was on a coin, they weren't allowed to use it in their Jewish systems as it pertained to the temple. And so they would exchange the money for you, but of course they would exchange it with an increase on their behalf of, of funding and of benefit. You see, they, they had done all this and, and think about what is Jesus saying here? How is it recorded here in the text? This is what Jesus found. He found what was supposed to be a holy religion. What was supposed to be very spiritual. And he found it anything but that. It wasn't holy. They weren't even dealing with their own brethren, honestly. And it wasn't spiritual. It had become a place where the leaders were saying, let's go make money. And now notice the next few lines. Still, the story continues, 15 and 16. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the, the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. 
scholars argue even with each other about was Jesus very calm here or did Jesus have lightning in his eyes? Was Jesus angry here? You remember, it's very possible to be angry and not to sin. I line up with the scholars that would say Jesus had lightning in his eyes. Jesus was angry at this point. What did he do? He found this sight and he rushes in and he makes himself a whip. Any of you ever driven animals? You don't do that, but just saying, shoo, shoo. Can you imagine him swinging that whip? Can you imagine him driving those animals? And he turns over and he doesn't just say to the exchangers of money, hey, I want you guys to leave right now. He picks up their boxes or pails of money and he throws it on the floor. He takes their tables, not plastic six foot Costco tables. He takes their tables and flips them. Can you imagine the noise? Can you imagine how it appeared a little bit violent, but it definitely appeared authoritative. Who is this man from, not Judea, who is this man from the wrong side of the tracks, Galilee, that is going to come into our house? Oh, it was the Lord's house. They had just forgotten that. Who is this man from Galilee that's going to come into our house and take such authority and such control? Brethren, back to that original question, what would Jesus say to us if he sat down and talked to us? I want you to see as we read the rest of this story, one thing that Jesus would have no problem in doing. He would have no problem of looking you and I in the eyes and reminding us of who is in charge. He is authority, whether we realize it or not. And there's coming a day where every knee will bow the ones on this earth now that say, Jesus isn't over me. Oh, you will submit to him now or later, but he is authority. I'd like for you to notice how this continues here. As we read in verse 18, so the Jews answered and said to him, now, wait a minute. If you go back and read 16 and 17, and for time's sake, we skipped over 17. If you read those, Jesus didn't ask them any question. And this happened several times in these paragraphs that we're studying today. And we won't have time to bring them all out. But that's just interesting. Jesus didn't ask them a question, but they feel like they have to answer something. Let's talk about that in just a moment. But let's read this to see what it sounds like. 18, 19, 20, 21. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. Then the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're gonna raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body, not on a slide, but if we went ahead and read 22, we even see a confession by the disciples as John writes this. He says, therefore, when he had risen, see, he's going into the future of, of this event at this time. When he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Do you see what has happened here? Jesus did this cleansing of the temple with such authority that they felt like they needed an answer. In other words, are we going to sit back and let him have this kind of control? 
Are we going to let him have this kind of authority? And so they're answering his actions. Okay, okay, we'll admit it. At least for a few minutes here, you kind of took over this place. If you've got that kind of authority, give us a sign. Prove to us that you have this kind of authority. And his sign went right over their head. And the disciples confess it even went over their head until they saw the resurrected Lord. And I would say that if any of us would have been sitting there, it would have probably gone over our head also. But please get this. The reason it's recorded here is not to say, look how he tricked them. The reason it's recorded here is because it's true and it's powerful. So what was the authority? Please get this. This is huge. He says, you want authority? You want a sign to prove my authority? I'm going to die. And he doesn't use these words, but this is what his sign is. I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to give my life to die on a cross. And I'm going to be resurrected on the third day. That is a sign. That is authority. Now, lest we have heard about the resurrected Lord so many times, we forget how powerful that sign is. Let's, let's just do this. What if today we said... On Friends Day this afternoon, we're going to have some exercises. Number one, we're going to have a strong man's contest. Who in this room would be the strongest man? You know, it's interesting. We could have a contest and we could find out. Like right now, we could guess. I'm not really for sure. But we could put some guys through drills. Maybe a woman would surprise us. We could put some people through drills. And, and what we would find out, we'd find out that somebody in this room is the strongest. we say, hey, we're going to have another contest. We're going to have an IQ contest. We're going to find out who is the smartest in this room. We're also going to have another contest. Let's find out who is the most musically inclined. Oh, we're going to have a six-month competition. We're, we're going to find out who is the most financially capable. Who could take $1,000 and make the most money in the next six months? Do you realize we could find out a lot of things about each other and who could excel in what? But when I say this next one, you're going to say... That's ridiculous. We're going to have another contest. We're going to see who can resurrect the dead. You might have said to yourself, you know, I probably wouldn't win the strongest man contest. You might have said to yourself, I might not have the highest IQ in this room. You might have said to yourself, I might not be the most musically inclined. But you know what you just said? You said nobody can resurrect the dead. Oh, yes, somebody can. He's walked on this earth and whenever they demanded a sign for authority, he said, I will give you a sign that will prove it every time. You want to know how powerful I am? I'm the only one who can resurrect the dead. Did he believe it? He went to the cross, didn't he? It's one thing to talk something. It's another thing to go and to prove it. Jesus didn't just talk about his crucifixion and his resurrection. Jesus Christ lived and died and was raised again. And so where does that leave us? That leaves us as we sat down and talked with Jesus, we would find out that he is one that would speak with great authority. But second, I'd like for you to see, and we read this text a few minutes ago. Look at verse 23, 24, and 25. And I'd like for you to know the frankness of which John records about Jesus here. And this might seem just a little bit rude at first, but Jesus is, is just recording what the truth is. Let's read it again. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name. Now note that phrase, many believed in his name. In other words, they were starting to believe because of the miracles. We don't have those recorded here what they were. But he did many other miracles and signs and they started believing 
this, this man right here, he really may be the Messiah. They started believing that. Now let's read on. <clears throat> when they saw the signs, which he did, 24, but Jesus did not commit. And I'd like for you to know that word commit is the same Greek word as believed back in the previous. In other words, they believed in him, but notice what, what John's going to reveal here is he didn't believe in them. Isn't that interesting? Let's read this. Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew what was in man. Jesus, did you see that? They're starting to believe that you're the Messiah. How great is that? They're getting it. He says, I don't believe in them. What do you mean? I heard them talking. They're talking about it. They, they believe you're probably the Messiah. Oh no. You just go back a page in your Bible, John, the first chapter and verse three, Jesus made us. Without him, nothing is made. He says, trust me, I don't have to have man to tell me about man. I know man. I can read their hearts. And let me tell you something. They may say they believe in me, but I'm telling you, I don't believe in them. Was Jesus right? You better believe he was right because that few Passovers later, whenever he's coming into Jerusalem, it would have probably been some of these same people that would have laid down their palm leaves and they would have sung Hosanna and, and praise to the king and they would have hailed him king of the Jews. And those same lips that were saying they believed in him at the first of the week, at the end of the week, whenever a criminal was held up, they said about that criminal Barabbas, release him to us. Well, what am I to do with this man? Crucify him, crucify him. Jesus knew their level of commitment. Their level of commitment was just a very surface type of level that says, wow, look at those signs. Look at that. I'm impressed. Maybe he is the Messiah. But what does the Lord want? The Lord does not want us to be impressed. The Lord wants us to devote our life to him. If Jesus sat down and talked with you, what would he ask of you? Listen, friends, this morning I want you to realize what he would ask of you is not just to be religious. Not just to think about him from time to time. If Jesus sat down and talked with you, what he would ask for is your life. Will you devote your life to me? Jesus is not and has never been an add-on to an abundant life. Jesus is the abundant life. And so now, I'd like for you to notice as we make this transition into the third chapter, look at this Nicodemus fella. And notice the word as it begins in this translation, there was a man. Other translations would probably say, but there was a man. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God. Now notice that. And, and if we look down in verse 10, we see that, that Nicodemus was a teacher. So here's a teacher coming to a teacher at night and he's saying, we know, the teacher is saying to the teacher, we know that you're a teacher and we know that you're from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. And what I want you to notice is that the word there are also translated but is, is a word of contrast. And I really believe that what John is doing here is John is ending the second chapter and keep in mind, we're the ones that put in the chapter breaks, but he's ending that paragraph by saying, Here's some people that said they believed in Jesus and Jesus didn't believe in them. But there was a Pharisee 
And he's going to go on to describe a man that Jesus had a different feeling about this man. Jesus had a different level of commitment about this man, even though in the third chapter, we never see him lining up and saying, Jesus, I'll be a disciple of yours. But we read about Nicodemus three times in the scripture. We read about him here getting an introduction. We read about him in the seventh chapter. And in the seventh chapter, he's standing up, at least to some degree for Jesus among his peers. And we go to the 19th chapter, and you remember the rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, that asked Pilate if he could get the body of Jesus off the cross. He wanted to give him an honorable Hebrew burial. And you remember the one that stepped in and helped him get Jesus off the cross all three times he's described as the Nicodemus that came to Jesus by night he's coming out now he's, he's saying I am a, a, a disciple of Jesus I will stand with Jesus everybody else had run from Jesus and he says I'm going to give him an honorable burial and he donated a hundred pounds of spices of his own to be able to embalm the body or to take care of the burial process of the body of Jesus. Who is this man? If you know anything about the scriptures, you have to do a double look right here because immediately it says he's a Pharisee. The Pharisees were hateful enemies of Jesus. What? You're going to tell me here's some people Jesus didn't believe in and now here's somebody he didn't believe in and you're going to tell me he's a Pharisee? There's something different about this Pharisee. Notice he's also a ruler of the Jews. We already mentioned in verse 10, he was a teacher. Some scholars, and I don't know exactly where they get it, but some scholars say that he may have been one of the, one of the top three premier teachers in Jerusalem. He probably, being a ruler of the Jews, was a very wealthy man. He very likely could have been on the Sanhedrin council. Here's a man that is a sect of Jews that hated Jesus, and yet... He said, using the pronoun we, did you notice there back in verse two when he came, he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Who had he been talking to? Probably other Jewish leaders. He might have even been talking to the Sanhedrin council. We know this. It's kind of like when the 10 lepers were cleansed. How many came back? One came back to give Jesus the praise that he was due. It's almost as if Nicodemus is saying, I've been talking to other Pharisees and we've all concluded on the fact that you're from God. Now see, at this point, he wasn't ready to say he was the Messiah, but he said, you are at least a teacher from God. But notice, he's the only one that came. Now as we start to close this lesson, I want you to notice this. This is huge. He's going to sit down and talk to Jesus. And if you'll notice at the point we just quit reading, he still has not asked Jesus anything. But Jesus, it says in verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him. That's interesting, isn't it? He didn't ask Jesus anything. But you know what he implied? He implied saying, listen, I know you're a teacher from God. Jesus knows that he knows that he's a teacher. And he says, is he saying, is this the implication I just want to hear. I want to learn. If a teacher came from God, what would he say to me? How awesome is that? Nicodemus, why did you come? Because I believe you're a teacher from God and I want to know what a teacher from God would teach. 
And so Jesus answers him. Jesus can read his mind. He knows his heart. And he says, most assuredly, that's the idea of sincere trustworthiness. It's for certain. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The answer pivots on two things. Born again, kingdom of God. Born again, kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter in the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered. He did ask a question that time. Jesus answered, most assuredly again. In other words, Nicodemus, this is certain. Believe me. I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot inherit the kingdom of God. If God was going to sit down, I say this to you with all assurance. If God was going to sit down, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, if he was going to sit down with us right now and say, Jesus, what is it that I need to know? I assure you, he would talk to you about the kingdom and about being born again into that kingdom. There's no doubt about it. The kingdom was spiritual. It wasn't this physical kingdom that the Jews of that day and time dreamed about where, where the Messiah would come in with a sword and he would be like David that could kill a giant. And in their day and time, the giant would be the Roman emperor and we're gonna take our nation back and we're gonna rise up to strength again. And he is trying to open the eyes of Nicodemus and he's trying to get Nicodemus to see this kingdom isn't fleshly. This kingdom is spiritual. And over the next few verses, he'll cover a lot of that that we simply won't have time to cover now. But I just want to close this lesson by begging you to see that the kingdom today is still spiritual. We can spend our life on surface talk or we can get down to real talk. And we come today as friends. And what is it that friends should talk about? We need to talk about the kingdom. We need to talk about what it means to be born of the water and of the Spirit, the baptism that, that Jesus gave to us and the baptism that he made it to be so beautiful because it's like his death, burial, and resurrection. And it's the baptism that he places is so significant that he says, that's at the point in time that I'll wash away your sins. You look throughout the book of Acts and every time you see Jesus preached, you see people saying, I want to be baptized. Why? People wanted into the kingdom. The entrance into the kingdom. Listen, if I don't have this way into the kingdom, if I'm not responding to that, I've missed everything. I want to read to you a poem that one of our teenagers wrote for a class project the other day. And, and it was mentioned to me, of, hey, have you read Keeley? Capley's poem? No, I haven't. You've got to read it. I'd like for us to close this lesson just thinking about how beautiful and how powerful baptism is that the Lord has offered to us and given to us so that we can be a part of the kingdom. And here's how Keeley sees it. The ground rumbles, my heart crumbles, we're headed to the creek. My foot hits the water, I'm going to be God's daughter, I now start to sink. Oh no, I'm stuck, deep down in the muck, this will be our link. My knees buckle, Satan chuckles, and God gives a wink. My head goes under, it sounds like thunder, I won't come out dry. Tears are falling, people are bawling, this is a happy cry. I'm a blind man seeing, a brand new being. Satan prepares to pry. The crickets sing and the joy bells ring. I am mine no more. The angels say we've won, but I know it's just begun. 
because I've seen it before. God makes me strong. The devil is wrong. Jesus is who I live for. That last line, that's the kingdom. People of the kingdom are people that have been baptized into Christ and now their citizenship is in heaven. They're a part of the kingdom of God and that's who they live for. Christ is the king. And this morning, friend, Jesus would look any of us in the eyes and he would say with authority and he would look through shallow commitments and he would say, I want you to see the kingdom. I want you to be born again. And if we can help you with that in any